0: It is the beginning of something called National School Choice Awareness Week. And joining us now with us is Shelby Doyle, the Vice President of Public Awareness at an organization called National School Choice Awareness Foundation. And the National School Choice Week is the largest annual series of education-related events in U.S. history. And it is occurring between the 22nd and the 28th, so starting today. And we're going to talk a little bit with Shelby Doyle about what are some of the uh, founding sort of precepts of this organization. What does she want to see happen? Do they have an agenda? And what, what is the current status quo in America versus something different than that that some people may want us to move towards? 203-333-9422 is our number. You can call me at 203-333-9422. Shelby Doyle, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. Hello.
1: It's great to be with you.
0: Thanks for having me. Sure, a pleasure. So, Shelby, uh, you got to tell me a little bit. This National School Choice Awareness Week, what, what is this coming from? What is this really about?
1: Sure. So it's been happening every year since 2011, and it really came out of the desire of a bunch of different state organizations and schools who are working to make sure parents knew about education options in their little enclave. Coming together and realizing that if we put together an awareness week that happened across the country, we could create some national momentum and make it easier for parents to find out about their education options in every type of school, from traditional public schools to public charter schools, public magnet schools, private schools, online schools, and homeschooling all fall under the umbrella of school choice and school choice week.
0: Shelby, would you be able to call us back on a clearer line? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. We're going to wait for you. Shelby Doyle is going to call us back on a different line. I'm not comfortable with the sound quality. And if I'm not liking it in my ear, I can only imagine that for you, it may be a little compromised as well. So we're going to be talking, we are talking about this idea that uh, parents may not be properly educated on what the options are for them and for their kids. Um, Shelby, you back. I'm back. I hope this sounds better we'll try. It's not great, but we'll try. Hopefully it will. So Shelby, let me, let me ask you this. Um, Are you trying to change the system uh, in America by which a public school district goes with the house, the location where the kid lives?
1: So we're trying to make sure parents are aware of their options and offer a platform where people can talk about things like that but we are not a legislative advocacy group, but really we're trying to get people to think about education options differently. Um, The landscape is so different than it was a generation ago. It's not just your assigned public school versus paying out of pocket for private. It's far more diverse than that in a lot of States and it changes every year in state legislatures. So our mission is to make sure parents know what that looks like for their kids.
0: So give me an example. If you focused on Connecticut in particular or New York Give me an example how a parent uh, living in a, in a city or a suburb would have a choice other than going to uh, a public school or a local Catholic school or Jewish school, whatever kind of parochial school, or paying a lot of money out of pocket for an independent day school.
1: Sure. So number one would be public charter schools and public magnet schools, mm. which Started a generation ago. These started in the early 90s, and there's plenty of them throughout New York and Connecticut. So these are public schools that are free for students to attend. They're open to all. There are not entrance exams for the most part. Some magnet schools do have aptitude tests because they focus on students who have a real interest in a topic and help them get ready for a career in it. But these are open to all families, and they're really spread throughout both of these states. So that's an option that really just didn't exist a generation I, I, ago, but is a big choice.
0: So let me ask you, Shelby Doyle, when you talk about an option, to me, that means an attainable, realistic choice. But in fact, a lot of these schools have lotteries. So how is that even really an attainable, realistic choice?
1: Well, I wish that they didn't have lotteries. In a lot of cases, you're right. There are more families who want to choose these types of schools than there are seats available in them. And that's a matter of state policy and setting caps on how many can open and um, how much funding can go to them. So you're right, sometimes that is a barrier. I will say the way lottery systems work, everyone does have a real chance of getting in. You don't have a guaranteed spot. But if it's something you're seriously interested in, it's worth getting your name in the mix. And there's also, of course, homeschooling and online learning options, which are increasingly popular those are, you know, of course, not the right fit for every single family, but we're seeing people go about homeschooling in very different ways than folks used to. There's a lot of co-ops and other structural supports for homeschooling families that can make it easier for even a dual working parent household.
0: Do you, do you have a position on whether you think homeschooling is something that is beneficial to a child?
1: Well, I have a personal position on it in that I was homeschooled K-12 and and really enjoyed the experience. Um, I think for folks who aren't super familiar with it or don't have a close friend or family member who's done it, there's some some concepts about it that aren't necessarily true. For me, I went to a full-time day of school, uh, two days a week, and then I did three days at home. And I had a professional teacher who taught those classes and was in a class of about 20 kids and then did a lot of self-directed homework, which I think is kind of a best of both worlds situation. But a lot of folks, to my point, don't know that those types of options exist within the realm of homeschooling.
0: You're telling me your homeschooling was basically an individualized education plan that your parents came up with. That's what I'm hearing.
1: (laughs) Well, my mom actually started a co-op with some families that grew to several hundred families. Um, enrolled in it, so yeah, it was very customized to what we wanted to do. But it was also grouped by grade level. It was, you know, other
0: peer students from my area. But I mean, what makes that not a school? What What makes that a homeschool if you're actually attending with 20 other kids in a classroom? What am I missing?
1: Yeah, no, that's a fair question. What makes something a homeschool legally is that parents are the fundamental directors of how that education is being attained for students. So they have formally registered with the state they're homeschooling like their that. child they're reporting on those outcomes and they're determining how that schooling process is being done.
0: I see. So, so with respect to that, they have some reporting to do. Now, do you as a homeschooling student have to take any tests to ascend to the next grade level the next year? In other words, are there any sort of universal metrics to determine whether or not kids are learning in homeschools?
1: yeah it varies very much state to state some school uh, some states do not require parents to uh, you know turn in particular state test results. they just require students to have their grades reported annually so it depends on the state and some states also require particular subjects to be taught so it it's a state issue Connecticut and New York for instance have a little bit more strict laws on homeschooling than a place like Tennessee or Texas where I grew up.
0: What was the reason that your mother and presumably father wanted to give you this very alternative education?
1: Well, I think they were uh, varied reasons, but the ones that I've heard the most is that they particularly wanted us to be able to move at our own pace. I happened to skip a grade along the way, um, and they also were very interested in being very hands-on in how I was taught and the academic rigor of that. They both attended traditional public schools in the 60s and did not feel that their education was as high of a quality as they wished it had been so they were very interested in alternatives
0: were you their only child nope i have two sisters and were you all homeschooled in that way
1: (laughs) we all were for a time however uh, one of my sisters did all of high school in a performing arts magnet school and my younger sister finished at a full-time private school. So we ended up becoming a very school-choice family by the end of it
0: all. Exactly. I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Both of my kids cycled into public and private at different aspects of their education. My daughter went to Montessori through kindergarten, which was private and fabulous. And then she went to first grade in the public school, where I thought that she would just remain, but she told me she was bored. And because she was my younger and my son had had a I would say, mixed result out of public school. I said, well, I don't want to make the same mistake twice. So I put her into a (laughs) Jewish day school for four years, which was still the best thing I ever did because it grounded her in a kind of commitment to homework and to following through that lasted her throughout her education. And then she said, you know what, Mommy? You know." Then she said, Mommy, I really want to go back to public school because I'm ready. And I want to, and there are reasons why I want to, and they were good reasons. And I felt she always knew herself best. And then she went back to public school and did brilliantly until college. So I'm a big believer in flex, flex, flex.
1: I think that's a great great example of, you know, there's nothing wrong with any of those choices along the way. You just needed to do different things at different times and for different kids. You know, like That's I right. said, with my family and, and your kids, different students just need different things. And it's not a referendum on a school that you may not want to choose for a second child.
0: Correct. Exactly. It is isn't a. It really is a referendum on the match. It's not so much the school district or your kid. It's whether or not the school is the right thing for your kid at that time. And you don't get do-overs as a parent, so it's difficult. It's very difficult in the moment. Yeah. So,
1: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: So how would a parent today living in Bridgeport, for example, what is the most efficient way for that parent to find out what are the realistic, attainable choices of education for that child.
1: Absolutely. So we have a website
0: at schoolchoiceweek.com, and
1: it is up 51 other weeks of the year, not just this week, um, where parents can go find out all of these education policies that are specific to the state in which they live that we've been talking about at schoolchoiceweek.com on your state page. And that'll give you the overall, yeah, it's going to give you the overall context And then once you have a sense of which of those you're interested in, you can use a school finder tool and pull up an actual list of real schools that exist near you that meet the filters that you choose on that school finder. And if you want to make it a little bit easier on yourself, I would definitely recommend checking out the events that are listed in your area during this week for instance there's a big school fair happening later this week in new haven um, and a bunch of other events happening at specific schools where if you're if you know you're considering something you can go to that event get more information talk to the folks who are going to be interacting with your kid on a day-to-day basis and find out if that really is going to be something you want to choose next year
0: so what's very interesting is you have this website called schoolchoiceweek.com and you click on the map of Connecticut, which is easy. Then it brings you to a page and a screen that will say, search for schools near me. So I'm putting in a zip code, 06883. I'm thinking that that's a Bridgeport, but I could be wrong. And then it says, distance, five miles, school type, all grade levels. And now I'm clicking, clicking search schools. Oh, I'm sorry, that's Weston. Pardon me. I knew it was familiar. And it tells me, so this is what it tells me, it says, it right away talks about the public schools that are available, so then we see it. And then it says that there are more than 20 public charter schools that parents can look to, and it has a link to that. And then it has Connecticut magnet schools, and it has links to those, and Connecticut private schools. And then it also has Connecticut online learning, Connecticut homeschooling, which are specific Subjects, if you choose to homeschool in Connecticut, it says you are required to teach specific subjects like reading, U.S. history, and geography, but specific standardized tests are not required. Interesting. And you also may face roadblocks to participate in sports, in certain kinds of sporting activities. So it has a whole thing on Connecticut here, and then it has follow-up links to various resources. Very interesting. National School Choice Week.
1: Yeah, the the goal there is just to put this in very practical terms for parents and put it all in one place. I think that's what's unique about this week and the mission of what we're doing. You know, you've got charter associations, you've got state school districts, you've got all these players in the education space. But for a lot of parents that haven't, you know, picked a team, quote unquote, yet, that just want to start looking at everything and then narrow it down, It can be tough to get all that information gathered. And so that's what we're hoping this website does for parents is put it all in one place and give you those initial either deal breakers or great fit information pieces up front, like that piece of sports information about homeschooling. Not necessarily going to matter for every family, but for some families, that's going to be a huge deal and something they want to know up front.
0: It's interesting. So I put in uh, 06601, which is a Bridgeport zip. And the first things that come up are not the public schools. They are two things called public charter schools. Shelby, what's a public charter school?
1: A public charter school is a public school in that it's free to attend and every student eligible to go to it. What's different is the governance structure of that school. So the reason it's called a charter school is these schools are quote unquote chartered. Um, to exist for certain purposes and under an accountability body that could be a local nonprofit, it could be a college, it could be the school district itself. But they're going to be a little bit more flexible in how they go about education than your district schools. Um, so that could look like how they structure their school day. It could look like the format of their classrooms. It could look like a focus on college prep, for instance. So every charter has something that makes them a bit different, and it just depends on the school. But they're free to attend, and as you mentioned, in some cases, there's more students who want to attend these schools than there are seats in those classrooms. So depending on the charter school, you'll want to find out earlier than later if there are seats available. And if there is a wait list, that's something you want to get on before that closes.
0: It says for this particular uh, zip code that I put in something called Capital Preparatory Harbor School as a public charter school, it has 785 students in it. And then another one, much smaller, called the Bridge Academy, as another public charter school. So again, you'd have to find out what these schools are trying to do. Who is the student that they think is the best fit for that school? Uh, we're chatting with Shelby. We're talking about public school, cho- well, not, well, not public. We're talking about School Choice Education Week, which begins today, which is, I guess, a national endeavor to allow parents to know what are the options for their kids to go to school. I have a question for you from what you know. Does it make sense for a parent, if they have lost the lottery for their kid, to try and do, is there anything a parent can do in a more personal way to show up, to tour the school, to get to know the administration that might give their kids an edge in a lottery system where they lose the lottery? Can they be on some kind of a wait list afterwards even if they lose the lottery?
1: Absolutely, yes. They can definitely choose to remain on that wait list, and the school should let you know if that's an option because there will be students who do get in and then in the 11th hour decide to do something else, Mm. Um, and it's certainly worth staying on that wait list if it's something you're really interested in. Most schools at this point, especially in these very popular areas, have a policy where, for instance, a sibling is given priority on that wait list over a brand new family coming to the school. So it, again, it depends on the school, though they're going to have specific policies about that, but it is worth staying on that list. You never know what's going to happen mid school year. And if it's important to you, um, it's certainly not something you should give up on entirely. If you think it might be something you'd even switch into mid school year.
0: You know, there've always been a lot of controversy about school choice from the point of view that many people have argued that they think that this hurts public schools to have more choices. What's your response to that?
1: Yeah, I, I have heard that argument. I think it's important that we clarify that when we talk about school choices, we're including traditional public schools in that, you know, we very much support and encourage families to seriously consider those. So our mission is to make sure that people have that option, that they have other options too. Um, so for instance, When it comes to studies that have been done on places that have a private school choice program, the students who stay in public schools in those areas do not suffer academically from having those choices and having some students choose to do something else. Um, I hear the concern that we don't want to do anything to harm our traditional public schools, but we think we can do both well.
0: I think not only can we do both well, but arguably it forces public schools to keep examining what they are doing if they have competition.
1: I think that's very true, and I see that playing out in how our traditional public school participation looks in states that have a lot of this choice. So in places like Florida and Arizona, there are tons of school choice policies in every type of school, and in addition, there's a lot of open enrollment options where people can choose the public schools inside and outside of their district that they want to attend. And we see huge participation from traditional public schools in School Choice Week um, because they know they have to get the message out of the community, talk about what they do well, and really make the case to parents that that's a great fit for their son or daughter. And parents continue to choose them when they do that. But they have yeah. to do the work of making sure yeah. they have shown off what they have to offer.
0: That's what, and that's what I mean by that. You have to keep your pencil sharp. You've got to be on your toes if there's competition. It's just human nature. If you're the only game in town, you're the only game in town. But if you're not, you've got to keep advocating as to why you should exist. That's not a terrible thing.
1: I agree with that. And I think we see those schools step it up and continue to serve students well. And they're they're not going anywhere, you know, even in choice-rich mm-hmm. environments. Parents really continue to choose traditional public schools. So
0: yeah. it's not, yeah. not an either or, it's a both and. Exactly. I, I think that that's right. Well, I want to thank you, uh, Shelby, for being on our show today, and thank you for showing us your website. I'm going to repeat it again because it's really quite lovely. It's schoolchoiceweek.com, schoolchoiceweek.com, and if you go on it, you'll see how easy it is, whatever state you're living in. You just ping on that first, and then you ping on a zip code that you want to ping on, and you decide how many miles within that you want to do it. The default setting is five, and it comes up with choices. And sometimes it's only the public school, as I said earlier, and sometimes it's these public charter schools. But it is a roadmap with links to finding out more information, and I think that's really, really helpful, schoolchoiceweek.com. I want to thank you very much for being on the show with us today. Thanks for having me and talking about School Choice Week. I appreciate it.